0: From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature. Real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Megan Fury. This time on our 100th episode, we have two stories for you. In the first, a man plays the ultimate prank on his brother.
1: I leap onto him and I land on his leg and I'm just swiping, just swiping at his face. (laughs) He was hitting me so hard with his feet. I mean, there was just like a machine gun, just whack, 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 whack,
0: Chris Galati grew up around water.
1: My parents got into river rafting fairly young, maybe nine or ten when they got into it. And so my dad bought a raft, and, and we always went down the wild skating stretch of the road.
0: The Rogue River is in Southwest Oregon, where Chris was born and raised. He's the youngest of two brothers, Eric and Hayden. Both brothers inherited their parents' love of rafting and kayaking, and got certified to be instructors. Chris initially had no interest in following in his brother's footsteps.
1: I'm about six years younger than they are, and so I was, you know, early teens when they were really getting into kayaking. And so then they put me in a kayak. (laughs) I did not, it was scared the heck out of me. They just kind of taught me. And having your brothers teach you how to kayak when you're 13 and they're 18 is not a good thing. They they beat up on me and made me do stuff I didn't want to do, but it worked out and I ended up loving it.
0: Chris kept kayaking, and eventually he started feeling pretty comfortable with his skills. So his brothers started taking him out on longer kayaking trips. But he was still the youngest, and they liked messing with him.
1: When I was 13, I was maybe 80 pounds, and I mean, I was little. And so there were no kayaks that were even close to fitting. we do just day stretches on the river. They would just haul me along for this little boat in an 80-pound weakling, you know, they were just cartwheeling me, throwing me around like crazy. And they loved it. They just thought it was the funniest thing. And I swam so many times, it was ridiculous.
0: It wasn't just on the river. Chris was the target of a lot of pranks and teasing, especially from Eric.
1: He's always been a prankster. Being in the house, growing up, you would always go into any dark room, you would throw your arm around the corner to see if he was hiding on the corner, because he usually was.
0: When he got older, Chris also became a guide and joined his brothers leading groups up the Rogue River. It's one of the longest rivers in the state, flowing 215 miles from the Cascade Mountains into the Pacific Ocean. It's beautiful, known for its rugged scenery and salmon runs. But of course, where there's salmon, there are bears. One of the stops along the river on their tours was a place called Decision Rock.
1: We loved it because there was a, a really low bench at the right of the river's edge that you could put the kitchen and then up above the bench had a lot of uh, spots for people to sleep.
0: Unfortunately, the black bears loved it too.
1: Bears frequented camps every every time you're there, and so for years we dealt with this in different ways. We tried, you know, stacking coolers, noise makers, everything we could think of, and finally, what we figured out was that if we all slept in the kitchen down by the river and so all the guides um, would sleep out just on one big tarp, we would get, you know, baseball-sized rocks (laughs) and place them near our heads in a stack. And when these bears would come in, we would just start throwing rocks. You didn't even have to hit them. The bears were used to people with noisemakers. They're used to the antics of people. But they did not like getting rocks thrown at them. So for years, that's how we did it. We would, you know, go down there to make a stack of rocks and wait for the bear.
0: It worked. They never had an attack. The guests all camped above the river and most slept right through the rock throwing. Chris loved these trips, bears and all. But eventually, the time came for him to go off to college. He had one summer left of being a river guide, and he was going to make the most of it. After years of being pranked, it was his turn.
1: I wanted to do something big.
0: There were a lot of people on that last trip There were eight guides and about 15 guests, including a group of teenagers from New York City. Both of Chris's brothers were usually there, but this time, Eric couldn't come. But Hayden would be there. Hayden's wife and Chris's then-girlfriend were also coming. Chris let his girlfriend in on his idea, but not Hayden's wife. While he wanted to get both of his brothers back, one would have to do. So he set his sights on Hayden and made a plan. And Chris knew the perfect spot to implement it. Decision Rock.
1: The nearest town was uh, Grants Pass, Oregon. I called up the Grants Pass costume shop. (laughs) They have one. And asked them if they had a bear suit that I could rent. And they said no, they didn't. But they had a gorilla suit. Okay, well, that's probably the closest I can get to a bear. You know, it's pretty good. It's black hair, you know, the whole thing. And so I rented it, packed it in my in my gear. The third night is when I brought this thing out. I knew that everybody was going to have rocks stacked. Because this has been our method the last couple of years. The only other person that was in on this was my uh, girlfriend then, now my wife. I started talking to people and said, "Hey, let's not throw rocks tonight. You know, the bear was up here last week and it has a cub, and I don't, I don't want to hurt the cub. And I, you know, I think these rocks might hurt the cub." My oldest brother, Hayden, he was looking at me like I was crazy. And so some people were like, oh, "Okay." And, and so I put down my pots and pans. Spatulas and stuff to bang on them to make noise makers next to people's heads instead of the rock pile. But knowing full well that my brother Hayden was still stacking rocks, he was just like, no, I'm, I'm throwing rocks. We're not going to hurt the cub with rocks. My plan then was, okay, in order not to get killed here, I'm going to have to really put a lot of extra gear on underneath this suit. Got up at like 2 a.m., I put on life jackets backwards, kind of over my crotch area, put on the life jacket at the top, did as much as I could with my legs, you know, putting strap and stuff on underneath, put on a helmet, put on a, a face mask, like a hockey face mask, and then I put on the suit. And so I was fully armored, waiting for just rock carnage.
0: Everyone was fast asleep. So Chris, in his gorilla suit, quietly made his way down to where Hayden, his wife, and the other guides were sleeping.
1: I came up to the uh, the kitchen, just a the table there. I didn't know really how to do it. I'm standing on my my leg, started kind of pushing on the table and kind of going, you know, making whatever bear and my sister-in-law she looks up and she looks over and she sees me immediately goes to my brother Hayden who's right beside her says Hayden you know there's a bear wake up there's a bear right there and I'm going he looks and he's kind of got bleary eyes and sure enough he reaches back to grab a rock and so I just Rear up and charge him. Two legs just going, just running straight at him. His eyes just dilate. He is just petrified, and he swings around in the sleeping bag. Doesn't even come out of the sleeping bag. I leap onto him and I land on his leg, and I'm just swiping, just swiping at his face. He was hitting me so hard with his feet. I mean, they were just like a machine gun, just whack, 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 whack. He's fighting for his life. And meanwhile, his wife is beside him with a pan and a spatula going ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and it just made me laugh so hard. And I, I fell off of him. He was, you know, hyperventilating. By this time, all the guys were up wondering what's going on and seeing, you know, this black thing next to my brother.
0: Once Hayden realized it was Chris, the two laughed until their stomachs ached. Hayden had to admit his little brother had gotten him good.
1: And he said to me that when he was, you know, hitting me in the stomach as hard as he could and as fast as he could, that he thought it was a little faster than he thought it would be.
0: (laughs) The stunt had woken up all the other guides, but none of the guests had heard the commotion from their campsite above the river. Hayden thought it might be fun to prank the kids from New York City.
1: I think there are five of them, and they were like in their early teens, Um, and they were just loving the river. They were sleeping out every night, you know, under the stars, together as a little group.
0: The teenagers made it a point to pick a spot far enough away from the adults, which made them easy targets. So Chris, still in his full gorilla suit, made his way up to their campsite.
1: So I just got on all fours, and I just started walking around in circles around them. One of them finally woke up, and he just froze, and he's looking at me. And I just keep walking, you know, nudges his buddy and they wake up, and pretty soon they're all staring at me, all five of them. And I just Circle them, and then circle them again, and then I just walk off into the into the brush. In the morning, we didn't mention anything about the uh, gorilla suit. And we're just with normal more, and the kids come down, and they're they're all excited. They're saying, oh, "You can't believe what happened last night! You know, there was bear last night. It was right next to us. We could touch it. It was so close." This other kid was being kind of quiet. Some guy asked, so what what did you think? What did you think, Roger, did you see it too? And they go, oh, don't don't ask him. He thought it was a gorilla. (laughs) 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 He's the only one that actually saw what it was. You know, to this day, he's probably out there just thinking he saw a gorilla on the Rogue River.
0: (laughs) Oh, so you didn't tell him. (laughs)
1: We never told him, no, we never said anything else, that was it.
0: Oh, poor Roger.
1: <laughs> I know. We we were just snickering just trying to keep it in, but yeah, that was, was awesome.
0: Maybe one of these days I'll get a story submission from someone who wants to tell me about the time they saw a gorilla uh, while out on a trip uh, in Oregon.
1: That's right. That's right, that might happen.
0: And then I'll have to end my whole career because I could never do anything more perfect than that. So, (laughs) that'll be it. (laughs) Our storyteller today was Chris Galati. Chris still lives in Oregon and still loves being on the river. His girlfriend, who was on that last kayaking trip with him, is now his wife. And they have a beautiful family. Chris isn't a river guide anymore, he's an author, which he says is his dream job. He hasn't donned a gorilla suit since that night, but as he says, never say never. In our second story, a man out doing trail maintenance finds an unexpected gift at his campsite.
1: But the next morning, I was alerted by one of the crew. They had woken up to something kind of odd.
0: Brandon Tigner didn't grow up outdoors.
1: So I actually grew up in the suburbs. It was kind of a normal suburban upbringing. You know, we did sports on the weekends, and we would go to the movies in the mall for fun.
0: But in 2014, he wanted a change.
1: I wanted to learn some skills, travel, but you know, like a lot of 20 somethings who don't have a lot of money, you know, you got to get creative.
0: He ended up doing volunteer trail work in Maine for the Appalachian Trail Club, and it changed his life. He became a staff member and then a crew leader, supervising other volunteers. Eventually, it led to a job with the Washington Trails Association as the North Puget Sound Field Coordinator. Brandon loves his job. He's always outdoors. He leads groups of volunteers doing various trail work, building structures, clearing drains, and even constructing brand new trails. And it was on one of these trips in the summer of 2019, that something odd happened. He and his crew were working in the Gifford Pinchot National Forest, an area of Southwest Washington, also known as the Dark Divide.
1: It's kind of mysterious. It's remote. There's been a lot of Bigfoot fighting. It's like the Bermuda Triangle of the Gifford Pinchot, I think. It
0: was a typical day. Brandon and his team woke up at their camp, got ready, and set out for the short hike to their work site.
1: One of the volunteers noticed across the river a blue object. We decided to go and check it out as a crew we discovered that the blue object was a tarp. And we quickly realized we had stumbled upon somebody's camp. We thought it was an old camp at first. Somebody just left their stuff there. And as we kind of checked the site out, one of the crew members spotted a hole in a tree nearby. And we kind of looked a little bit more closely and discovered one of those green thermoses with some lukewarm soup and a russet potato. And I realized at that point that we were likely snooping around someone's camp. So I made the recommendation that we should get out of there. So we, we quickly left. Later that night, over dinner, we chatted about our find with everybody else and we, we just kind of chalked the camp up to a local mineral claim camp. There's a lot of spots in that area where folks have a mineral claim.
0: Brandon and the team enjoyed the rest of their night and didn't think much about it.
1: But the next morning, I was alerted by one of the crew. They had woken up to something kind of odd. A russet potato was placed outside of their tent.
0: A russet potato, just like the one he found at the campsite the day before. It was weird and very specific. Brandon figured one of his crew members was playing a prank, but nobody confessed, so they packed up their camp and began hiking back to civilization.
1: Typically when trips are completed, when I'm leading, I always love going to the local watering hole. And so we all agreed to meet at one on our way out of town. We got settled in, and when it came time for everyone to kind of place their order, and it got around to me, I joked to the waitress, and I asked her if there was any locals that like to play pranks on trail crews by leaving potatoes outside of their camp. And as soon as I said that, the whole place went silent. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. And with a gray face, the waitress told us of all the hikers and backpackers that have disappeared in the area over the last 15 or so years. And each tale was the same that she told us. There was no missing gear, no signs of foul play. The only thing that tied all of the disappearances together was that a single russet potato was found in or near the camp. And she departed with a word of warning to be careful out there and to feel lucky that we had survived our run-in with the potato man.
0: To this day, Brandon has no idea what actually happened out there. And he wasn't sure how seriously to take the waitress's warning.
1: Sometimes folks play pranks on us. You know, that it was clear that we were maybe not from the area.
0: When he got back home, Brandon Googled the potato man and found
1: nothing. Maybe the potato man's out there and anybody who tries to, to write about it, uh, he finds and makes sure that it doesn't get written about it.
0: Brandon doesn't think he'll ever know the truth, but he's okay with letting it be a mystery.
1: There's something going on with the dark divide and, you know, rusted potatoes and and big feet. Ever since then, when folks are working in this area or hiking through this area, I recommend that uh, you add sour cream and chives to your essential gear list.
0: (laughs) Brandon still does trail maintenance and has been back to the Gifford Pinchot National Forest many times, but he hasn't seen any potatoes around his campsite. We may never know the truth about the potato man, but personally, I definitely think it was Bigfoot. Our storyteller today was Brandon Tigner. If you have any theories on the Potato Man, find us on social media and let us know. We're Human Nature Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, we're Human Nature Pod. And make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter to find out more about these episodes. You can find that on our website. That's HumanNaturePodcast.org. That's Human Nature, one word, one N. A Megan Fury. The first story in this episode was produced by Ryan Kelly. It's his very first episode, and I'm so proud of him. He did great. The second episode was produced by me. Both episodes had help from Greg Ronko, Luke Foring, Will Walkie, Charles Fournier, and Stephen Carroll. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media.
1: It's yeah.